and spewed out on both sides about all kinds of things. And what it causes a lot of times in people is great confusion. I don't know who to believe. I don't know what to believe. I used to think this. I used to think that. I don't know how to respond to people. I'm afraid to say the wrong thing. I think I know what I'm supposed to say, but I'm not sure. And it just swirls around like, what do I do? How do I think about this? And then when you throw the Bible in there and what's the Bible say, then it really gets confusing because not many people know what the Bible says or how to approach um, political stuff or world stuff or event stuff, current event stuff, biblically from a biblical worldview. One of the things I know, and patient, you and I have talked about this a lot, that if we don't come at this from a biblical worldview, we're just lost. That's true. Uh, the, I mean, the, 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 if we try to talk, take it from a, a political standpoint, that's a never-ending quagmire of quicksand you just get lost in. Just because our feelings are going to get involved, too. Yeah. And so if, unless we have this objective standard we can draw on, which, which in our opinion is Scripture um, and a worldview from the Bible, it, you know, it's interesting. There, there, are, there are people my age... Um, that feel about this issue very differently than like this young generation of young high school kids, even young college kids who just, who feel so passionately about the injustice, not quite sure how to handle it. Um, and so we're going to talk about all that. We're going to talk for a few minutes anyway, and then give you a chance for questions and, uh, and maybe have some answers. Um, and I'll just defer everything to patient, let him answer everything. Um, but let me preface it all with this. When we talk about this issue, this issue of race and uh, racial reconciliation or racism or different cultures, uh, my mind goes to Genesis 4 initially. And Genesis 4 is the account of Cain and Abel. Uh, and uh, through a, a series of events, Cain kills Abel. And the question that God has for him is so, in my view, profound, as is Cain's answer and the implication from God. Cain says, where's your brother, Abel? Cain's response was, am I my brother's keeper? And then right after that, God gets indignant. Not just because Cain killed Abel, certainly that was worth getting indignant about, but the assumption that we are not responsible for each other. That, that, that's, part of God's, that's part of God's anger in that moment. The implication was, of course you're your brother's keeper. You don't exist in an island, nor does your brother exist in an island. You absolutely are your brother's keeper. You absolutely are responsible not just to each other, but for each other. And what, what I see is happening for a long time, ever since Cain and Abel, is there's this, this uh, disengagement from other people's lives, disengagement, uh, a, a, a distance between us and them, me and you, this side and that side. And you just go through the Bible, and what we see over and over and over is this disengagement, this distancing from either from each other for a myriad of different reasons. We're seeing it extraordinarily so uh, right now, just in our faces, uh, racially. I'm not responsible for them. I'm not responsible for what happened. 
that's, that's their issue. It's not my issue. I live in my silo. You live in your silo. And, and so the two never meet. And if the two never meet, they never can understand stories. And if they never understand stories, they can never seek reconciliation. And so part of what we want to do is talk biblically about this. What is our responsibility? Who am I responsible for? Am I responsible for you? Are you responsible for me? Uh, is my culture responsible for? Is it your culture responsible? You know what I'm saying? Like, what is our responsibility to each other and to God? So what do you want to say initially, patient? Uh, first of all, my name is patient, as Pastor said now. Um, I would like to make something very, very clear. I'm black, <laughs> but I'm not African-American. Okay, you can hear that by my accent. That's why today, even when I was in my car, my wife was telling me, speak slowly. Speak slowly, just to remind that uh, it's very hard for you to understand me because I have an accent, and, and uh, I love it, by the way, that I have an accent. Uh, by saying that, it's not that I deny the fact that uh, I don't want to be African-American. By the way, I'm respectful for what the African-American they went through. To be honest, I came in this country, it's going to be nine years in, in July. That means I didn't go through everything that the African-American went through. But today, I'm also in that box just because I look like them. Not because I, I'm one of them. And then because of that, that's why I'm going to try to share with you some of my experiences, what I went through and what happened to me just because I'm black. And then I like the way Pastor said And then, yeah, what I can say much about me is that I'm married to one of a beautiful girl. You are many, doesn't matter. My wife, she's beautiful, and we have one daughter, and she's black, and my daughter, now that way become very confusing. I don't know if my daughter is African like me, because she was born in Clovis. <laughs> That's become very, very confusing. And yeah. This so, is what patient, you're from what country? I'm from Congo, and then I'm not going to give a geography class today, but Africa is not a country. Africa is a continent with 54 countries. And uh, my country is the second largest or the second biggest country in Africa. And if you see the map, just check the middle of Africa. The country that is in the, in the middle is called Congo. A country of close to 100 million people. They say 85 to 100 million people. And the good news is everybody look the same. I mean, we never have a problem of race. We have a lot of problems, I can guarantee you. But that, we don't. Because all of us, oh, you are like me, or you are darker than me. But we all look the same. You're like me, just a little darker. <laughs> but I'm six feet tall, okay? Yeah, that's true. That's, that's, the, that's the difference. That's the difference. I know. And you have hair <laughs> on your head. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um... Let me just do this for our sake. Uh, tell me if you know these names and their stories. Christian Taylor. No. Uh, Philip White. No. Uh, Eric Harris. Don't ring a bell? No. Uh, Walter Scott. Walt. No. Not Walter White. Walter Scott. Okay. Um, Oscar Grant. Is that ring a bell? Um, Botham Jean. How about that one? No. Um, Philando Castile. 
No? Um, Atishiana Jefferson. No. Um, Eric Gardner. Recognize a couple of you recognize that name? Um, Freddie Gray. A couple of you recognize that name? Uh, George Floyd. How about, how about these names? Uh, Trayvon Martin. Recognize that name? How about this one? Ahmed uh, Aubrey. Recognize that? Okay. How about this one? Richard Brooks. No. Uh, Sandra Bland. You know Sandra Bland? Hmm. Um, how about Breonna Taylor? Heard that name? How about Betty Jones? No. Um, how about Tamir Rice? Uh, vaguely familiar. Yeah. How about Michael Brown? Couple, couple of you. How about Jamar Clark? No. Um, how about Tanisha Anderson? Is that one you remember? No. Um, how about Tyree Crawford? This is kind of the problem. This is kind of the problem. Uh, because those are all African-American lives uh, that were killed around the venue of law enforcement or the correctional system. Uh, and, and I'm not going to get into the details of all of the stories. Some of them were outright murdered. Some of them, it's kind of questionable. The official record says this. The other says this. Some of them uh, were very much um, going after police in the process of things. And, and I'm not, I don't want to get into those stories, but, but here's part of the problem. When I look at us... I see a bunch of white faces, and there's some that are a little darker than others, but it's all pretty Caucasian. And so when we hear, we being white community, hear about uh, police brutality and injustice and the system that has got some flaws, our initial reaction typically is, I don't see it. Because we don't know those names. We don't know those stories. It's not our community. And so, again, we have the perspective of, am I my brother's keeper? Why would I know their names? Do you, you understand what I'm saying? Are you tracking with me so far? Now, I don't want to start this topic or this conversation about systemic racism or brutality, black and white, because the interesting thing is I've been searching for a list of white unarmed people killed by police, and I can't find a list. I can definitely find a list of black unarmed, unarmed people that are killed by police officers, but not white people. And the stat is twice as many in numbers, white people are killed by police than black. But because of the many things, many reasons, I can't find a list of them. But their lives matter, as do. And, and so until it hits close to home, until we have stories, 
we live in a bubble as if it doesn't exist, really. And so, again, not talking about is systemic racism, is this, is that. And I tell you what, all you got to do is go on YouTube and you'll find people on both sides of everything. But what I want to do is I want you to hear the stories and I want you to understand that part of the problem is our problem uh, because we might not believe what is the reality. And until we see it for ourselves, it's not really real. And if it's not real, we don't have responsibility. If we don't have responsibility, nothing changes. Does that make sense? So I want you to hear the stories to, to drive home the fact that, that a lot of what is being talked about is a reality. Now, it might not be, a, you know, in every community of our country. Thank God that's not the case. But it is a reality in some. And while the vast majority of people in authority are not outright racist out to kill anybody different than them, it certainly seems, though, there are some. And until we realize that, acknowledge that, we're going to continue to have the attitude, am I my brother's keeper? No, what's the problem? Go do, you know. And so I want us to understand, one, that it does exist. And two, I want you to hear stories from someone, hopefully, that you know or will get to know to put a face with it, some validity behind it, and so that you'll understand how a Christian responds to it because that's the key. That's the key. And that's where we're going to center down tonight. How does a Christ follower respond? Now, I don't refer to myself as a white Christian. And I hope I made that clear last week. Because if I say I'm a white Christian, then the adjective is the white and the Christian is the noun. And the job of the adjective is to modify the noun. So when I say I'm a white Christian, I have to change my Christianity to fit my whiteness. Might as well put a sheet over my head with two eye holes. Do you understand? Would you ever describe yourself as a black Christian? Nope. Why? Because I'm a Christian first. I'm a Christian first, and then I didn't pray to be black. I, I didn't. I, I don't think that my parents either, they pray for me to be black. But when I was born, I was born black. And then because of that, I say thank you to God. And uh, for no reason, I will try to change it to anything. I mean, I'll definitely, even in heaven, I'll be black. And uh, that's, that's a fact. But I consider myself as a Christian first before anything. But more than once, I've been reminded, even in the church, that I was black, then Christian. And the pastor knows about the story. And then some followers are here. They, there was three of, two of my friends plus me was three. We decided to go to a church where the people, they don't look like us. And then we, we went. And then it was in the corner of uh, Blackstone and one street that I don't want to say because you're gonna know the church. And uh, in the middle of the church, or the service, we were in the church. And I don't know if it was a worship time or the pastor was preaching. I don't even remember again. But all I know, someone came and they called us. They said, hey, can I talk to you outside? And when we went outside, there were two other people that they were waiting for us, which they don't look like us. But they asked us a very amazing question. The question was, we just want to know if you are looking for someone. Yeah, of course. We're looking for Jesus, unless he's not there. <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, it was my answer. It was, wait, you ask us to come out of the church just to ask us a question if we 
are looking for someone. Now, I want to emphasize that we were three black men and that we were just the three people that they looked different. And I went and I took my Bible and said, I, I just realized that Jesus is not here. That means we will be living now. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is not what we mean. That's, I, I don't know what you guys meant, but it's obvious that it's because we don't look like you guys. Now, I was a black or I was a Christian in that moment. It became difficult to define, but all I know for myself, I'm first a Christian before to be anything else. Before me to be black or to be the husband of my wife or the father of my daughter, I'm first a Christian. So, patient, your theology drives your humanity. Yes. And until we get that right, nothing's going to be fixed. Not at all. More often than not, our humanity drives our theology. So who I am as a white person drives what I believe about God oftentimes, and, what, and then that colors how I treat other humanity. Yes, that's correct. Mm -hmm. So, patient, when you came to Flipside, I don't know if you know this, but Flipside doesn't have a lot of people that look like you. Definitely. We, <laughs> I even asked John is here to bring his wife so we can be at least four black people. <laughs> Because we were just three, me, my wife, and my daughter. Okay, this. this started in South Africa. I went to a mission trip in South Africa once, and uh, they asked me to go preach. Because I don't know if some people know about the story or the history of South Africa. It's one of the very segregated countries in the world. I can guarantee you that in the United States, we're trying to do better. In South Africa, they're still in a way that white, they are white, black are black, and colors are colors. They don't even mix at all. And then they, I was invited to go preach at a conference and to talk about unity. And then during that moment, I was preaching. I don't know if pastor can testify that too. I started preaching to people and to tell them to be intentional with their action before I realized that I'm not. I'm preaching them. I'm telling them to do something that I don't do. Why? Because I was going to the church where everybody looked like me. We dress the same way. We eat the same way. We do everything the same way. But I was asking other people to do something different. And on my way back home, uh, I was thinking about it. And I came and uh, I met my wife. Okay, I don't even met her. But I talked to my wife. I said, I think we will be looking for a new church. But one requirement, the church, nobody need to look like us. I didn't, I didn't care if they're Chinese or whatever they will be, but we're going to go to that church, Pastor. And we started, and she's there in the back. She doesn't talk much, but you can ask her for details. We went to a lot of churches where the people, they don't look like us, but we can feel that we were not really welcome. It was, we, we've been even one church where, uh, my wife and I, I remember that church very well. It was a small church, about 120 people. But at the end of the church, the whole church came to us. I'm saying the whole church tried to talk to us, which was amazingly nice. But the truth, it was not. Because when we were in the car, I asked my wife a question, what do you think? Those people, they were nice. She said, I don't know if they were nice. But because the way they were acting, like it was the first time for them to see a white person, a black person. And we're talking about in the 21st century. They come to us, this is in Clovis. They, it was just too much. And then we realized that was not the place. Now, to take a decision to come to Ranchos, that was now the extreme. Because we were dealing with Clovis already, now going to... The rancher was to the extreme now. We say, well, are you sure that we're going to go there? 
I said, yes, we will be worshiping at the flip side. And I come to see Pastor, and I remember him asking me that question. He was, are you sure that you want to come at the flip side? I said, yeah, we would like to join the church. We would like to serve. We would like to come and be part of the community. And then we knew that for sure that we were not like everybody. Yes. I remember, patient, I asked you, I said, now, you're very comfortable being in our church. I don't know our church's response to you. I don't know what that's going to be because I didn't know. I didn't know if I could trust you. I'm being honest. I'm just being honest um, because I know how some people get awkward and fidgety and they just say things and they just don't know. And so I was... I wasn't as concerned for you. I admire you. I respect you, you and your wife, to come out to the ranchos from Chloe. I mean, this is a this is a different breed out here, like what we got going on. Um, I was concerned for us, um, and I think I'm I'm pleased with how we've how we responded. I think we, I, personally, I don't know if that is true, but you guys respond very well because we're talking about the truth and the the, the impression. If it was the truth, glory be to God. If it's the impression, it's actually extremely good. Okay. And then, but at, this was also a lesson for me. Uh, I was uh, thinking about it today. My daughter came to me today after church, and she said she wants to go play to the park. I'm telling you, she loves it. I think the day that they're going to build something there, she will stop coming to church. <laughs> and then, but I said, okay, let's go. She told me something. She said, Dad, wait. I'm going to call my friends. I just want you to realize that she's the only black girl to that class. She's five years old. But she told me that, wait, I'm going to call my friend. You know why? Because in her age, she doesn't see the color at all. At all. I, this is something I'm not going to say. No, no. I will make sure that, okay, I'll do one step, but I'm expecting you to do three before I move again forward. But my daughter was clear. She said, Dad, wait for me. I'm going to call my friend. And she went to call them. And then you can see them playing like nothing else. And by then, I'm trying to say that I don't think that nobody was born a racist. But we become a racist. So, patient, what is your father of a young daughter? Um, you don't want to lay out that race card right up front and say, oh, by the way, sweetie, you look different than those other people you go to church with. But at some point, there's there are conversations you need to have with her as if I had young ones, especially, I would need to have with my young ones at that point. Um, what are those conversations and how do you have them? How do you start to talk about that race issue um, in a biblical way, in a father, in a, in a pastoral way, in a, in a paternal way that's empowering and not divisive? That's, that's going to be a very difficult conversation. Now, for now, it's okay that she's a girl. And I don't know if it was a baby boy, how I'm going to react about it too. But I don't want my daughter to grow up as a black person. I, I just want to make sure. I don't want my daughter to change to white or to green or to yellow. I want her to be a person. I want her to be a Christian and to be proud of who she is. Not every time she goes everywhere, she does something, she needs to remind herself that she's black. This is what I don't want my daughter to go. But I want her to be so proud of how she looks. And I tell you, you are beautiful by being black. You are smart by being black. You are amazing by being black. But I want you to know that you are not just the 
fact that you are black that define who you are. But who define what define who you are? It's your relationship with God and what you say about your own value as a person that was created in the image of God. This is what I want my daughter to be. Now that conversation is going to be very difficult because she's going to reach a level where she need to make a difference of a lot of things. That's why I don't want her to learn that and they come to me. I, I'm gonna give an example. I don't want my daughter to be pregnant and then when she came at home and she told me that I'm pregnant, now I said, okay, by the way, let's talk about sexuality now. You see, it makes no sense. I, I want to say to teach her that now, that you are a person. And that the same way you have a value in the eyes of God, even the people that they don't look like you, they have the value in the eyes of God. And you need to respect them and to love them just as a people. Don't base your rest of your life on the color and make that differences. Yeah. So patient, um, there are many of us who hear stories about um, injustice um, towards black people. Um, you've experienced some of that, right? And so what I want you to do is share with us your experience of that to help us understand that it's real and it happens, even locally, uh, and how a Christian responds in the face of racism. I, I will start with one that happened three weeks ago. Actually, it happened here. You know, we, we have a sheriff that comes to the church all the time. I heard that he comes on Sunday morning. And the sheriff. Grab, the sheriff. Yeah. He come here and they grab coffee and they leave. But it happened that that Sunday I was here at the church and I was taking some chair out and I tried to put the things in place. And I saw the sheriff pass. And you were the only one out front. Uh, the only one. He passed me for the first time. He passed the second time. He passed the third time. He passed the fourth time. By, by being black, I knew already what's going to happen after. But I didn't worry about it. And then finally he parked and he came out and they asked me a question what I was doing there. It was, uh, I'm blocking here, and we're putting a chair. Are you sure that you need to do it? I said, yeah. What you guys going to have? I said, we have church. I said, are you sure? And then, yeah, we have church today, and we need to block here, as we do it every Sunday, and uh, it's not going to change today. Uh, yeah, okay. Oh, I was just trying to check if uh, everything was okay. Yeah, by the way, everything was just okay. But it's the same sheriff that shows up every Sunday before the lockdown to get coffee from us. Yes, and they never ask no one. <laughs> no, uh, no. Except me. Yeah. Now, I didn't really pay attention on it, but the truth is, pastor was far, and he saw everything, and uh, Heather was cap there, and then she didn't also pay attention on it. But pastor came after that to ask me a question, what he was asking me. I told him what the guy was actually asking me as questions, and I tried to answer as much I can, and I said, okay, this is what I'm doing. But you understand that all those questions he was asking to me, because I was different, seems like you're not supposed to be here, and what you're doing here. And that this is almost every day. Uh, I've, been, uh, I've been pulled over in Clovis, and, and then to ask me a question, my wife was at the hospital for, I think, for two or three weeks. I don't remember. I think two weeks before, because she was pregnant, and I was going every day at Clovis Community to see my wife, and I was pulled over, and the, the cops asked me just one question, and the question such as where I was going. You see, in that moment, Pastor, I feel like uh, giving him an answer such as, how much gas you put in my car to ask me where I'm going? I can go anywhere I want to, but you try to be polite. You try to be Christian and say, I'm going to the hospital to see my wife. Oh, okay, I was just trying to check. Okay, fine. 
and then you leave. Uh, there was one time when you were talking on your phone on your deal, which yes. is illegal, by the way. By the way. <laughs> yeah. Throw you in yeah, jail. Yeah, I was using man. a phone. And uh, that one, I was in a, once again in a very bad place. I was in downtown Clovis. I don't know if you get that. There's a lot of places you can be in Clovis, fine, but downtown, don't try. You know, I've never had a problem in Clovis. I don't know what the problem is. Uh, the problem is I'm black. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I it's was real. In downtown Clovis, and I was using my phone, and I was pulled over by the cops. And then, uh, you, you know, I don't know if that is something that most of the black people do, but the truth is we do it a lot. We try to ignore the cops first. And then when I saw that, I knew that he was following me. I completely ignored him. And then I take another street, and he came. I said, okay, this is now. They're pulling me over. And the, the cops came to me, and they asked me for my drive license. I gave the cops my drive license, and they left. And then when he came back, he gave me a paper he wanted me to sign, and I tried to play smart, and I started to read everything that he was written. And they, I noticed something that he said that I didn't have insurance. And I asked the cops, I said, oh, but you charging me that, uh, you giving me a fine that I don't have insurance. Say, yeah, because you didn't give me your insurance. I said, no, you didn't ask me for my insurance. You asked me for my drive license. That, by the way, you have my drive license because you asked for it. If you ask me for insurance, I'm going to give you the insurance. And then the cop said, no, you're going to sign. I said, I'm not going to sign. He said, you're going to sign. I said, I'm not going to sign. You're going to sign this paper. I'm not going to sign. He called other cops. And then we were there for almost 45 minutes. And now we're going back and forth. You're going to sign. I'm not going to sign. And my sample, it was, okay, I want you to remove it. Now, because he didn't want to remove it, he called another cops. Now, the debate changed. Now, I didn't just want him to remove it. I want him to remove it and to apologize. And he says, not going to remove it, and he's not going to apologize. I said, I'm not going to sign, and we're going to be here. <laughs> and then we start to go back and forth, back and forth, and I can guarantee it was not pretty. It was very bad. Very, very bad. And I finally remove it. But that was the most important. I start driving to go home, and then I ask myself a question who I was, by the way. Because I did it as a black man. I did it as a six feet tall black man. I was so upset. I think that the cops did it just because I was black. Because he didn't even have a time to ask me if I have insurance, which I have. And I'm so mad about the insurance company that I don't have the opportunity to use. I pay them every month, and I don't use for it. That was an opportunity for me to use my insurance, by the way, <laughs> that I pay for every time, but no. But when I went home, I realized that what I did was wrong. I'm a Christian first, before to be anything. I went back to the police department, and I asked if I can see the cops. They told me that he was there, he's going to come. But he came, he came with his uh, supervisor. I told him this, I said, listen, uh, I want you to know one thing about me. I'm a Christian. And the second day, I'm not coming here for, to ask you to remove the ticket, but I come to say sorry. My attitude toward you was extremely bad. You don't need to agree with me, but I know that my part. Because my Bible says, as long as that depends on me, let me be in peace with everybody. And I come to say sorry. And then the supervisor told me that. He said, I've been a cops for close to 30 years, and that this is the first time that I see this happening. I said, yeah, I'm sorry, but I'm a Christian. This is all I'm going to say. And I left. And I paid the ticket. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? You were unjustly pulled over, charged with something you didn't do, like the assumption that you wouldn't have insurance. They're completely in the wrong. 
And then you go apologize to them for your attitude because you responded as a black man, not as a Christian first, yes. and then paid the fine. And they paid the fine. And this is, didn't happen once. I, I came in this country, I, I decided to go to school for many reasons. Many reasons. I say I'm going to go to school. And then my major was African-American studies. And then my wife can also testify it. I was almost finishing with a college with a African-American study degrees, but I decided to change the major. Now, I changed my major not because what they're studying there, they were teaching there was wrong. No, what they were teaching it was true. But as a Christian and as a black man being in that classroom, it was just intense. Because every time I was going to class, I was getting there, I was extremely upset. Upset about the things that we were hearing. Oh, wow, this really happened? Oh, they did this? Wow, the people that were calling the funding father, this is exactly what they did? There was so many things that I was getting upset every single day that I realized that I become myself a, a different person. I, in a sense where I can come out from my class and I see a black person for sure. Even if I don't know the person, I'm going to greet that person. Hey, brother. But right after, I'm going to see a Chinese. He doesn't exist. I see a white person. He doesn't exist. I was so mad, so mad about a lot of things, so mad about, I remember one day we have a very intense debate in class about the Constitution of the United States, which, I don't know if I love the Constitution, but it's the oldest Constitution in the world that it never changed for 240 something years. But when you read the Constitution carefully, you're gonna notice one thing. It's the only Constitution in the world that they didn't write at, at the same time. It took them, I think, 20 years to write the Constitution. But the first amendment of the Constitution, that's great. Everybody love it. Freedom of speech, news, whatever you want to. Religions. The second amendment is the freedom of what? Is it the right to bear a gun? A lot of people love it. At the rancho, yeah. People <laughs> love the second amendment. But do you understand that this is 1750-something when they wrote the second amendment? But they wait until 1865 to write the 13th Amendment, what was giving the equal right to everybody. That means the guns was more important than the human being. Now, we're protecting the right to have a gun than to free a human being. And then when you've been in a class that they're teaching you something like that every single day, you're not coming there no more. And I told my wife, I said, if I want to remain a Christian, I need to change my major. I'm gonna change my major because if I stay in that class, very soon I'm gonna have drug locks. I don't say that to have a drug locks is a bad thing. <laughs> Start to smoke some stuff that is not going to be very nice and then never wear a belt anymore and the result is gonna be just terrible. And for that reason, I'm gonna go do communication as a major. Not because I didn't like it, but because I want to protect my faith. I want you to notice something that everything you hear from this man is kingdom driven first. It's kingdom driven first. Jesus overrides all these, all these other issues are sub issues to the kingdom. It's one of the things I love about him. It's one of the things I love about him. It's one of the things I'm so glad when you came on staff here and we get a chance to work together. But patient, here's the thing, and, and this is my last question, then we'll do some questions and answers. There are many people, even right now and people watching online, that, well, what do we do? Like, what do, what do we do? 
How do we respond? Do we go march? Do we go hold up a sign? Is that good or bad? Like, like I got my opinion about it, but I want to we I want to know your opinion about it. Should we go march? Should we hold up signs? Should we put a black square on our Instagram thing? Like what from here, what do we do, patient? Yeah, this is the most difficult question to answer. To to be honest, I was uh, I thought about that so many times, and then I even met with other people to ask them a question. I said, okay, if a white person come and ask you a question, now I get it. Racism exists, police brutality exists, but what I need to do? One of the things that I'm gonna give you as an advice for me, I don't want any type of sympathy. I don't want you to be sorry for me by being black, because it's not wrong to be black, not at all. But I want your empathy. That means to react the way that you can react if it was being done to you. Because we're calling ourselves Christian. That means I'm not, I don't care about what is happening out there. To be honest, I just don't care. What is happening out there, I don't care. Because those people, they are not Christian at all. What hurt me, what hurt, broke my heart, is when those type of things are happening in the church. Now, when we're calling ourselves a Christian, we say we are brother and sister, you don't feel my pain. You don't see my pain. You ignore that. You think it's not your problem. You even go for it doesn't exist because it doesn't exist to you. But if we were brother and a sister, just think about that. Your biological brother or your biological sister, those type of things happening to them, I'm telling you, you will call. You will do something. And I don't know what you're going to do, but you're going to feel obligated to do something because it's happening to your people. But I'm your people because we have God as a father. The Bible says we are born again. And when we're born again, we are born again. We're having God as a father. That's why I don't want you to have a sympathy. When you have a sympathy for me, you feel like you're actually sorry for the fact that I'm black. Which I'm not. I want to be black. Yeah, I'll die black. Yes. And then that's, that's one of the things. And then if you ask me a second thing, I want you to be intentional. To be intentional, we, we told you that we decided to come here at the flip side, my wife and I and my daughter, is because we were intentional with our actions. We knew that you were different. We, know that we knew that you guys don't eat like us. We knew that you guys don't watch the same TV. I don't get it how you guys play football with your hands. I, I, I knew that. Because that's, I've told you, that's the way God intended it to be done. <laughs> But the word is food. Ugh. It's with our food that we need to play it. I, I don't get it. But we, we knew all of that. Hey, but just we stick on the topic, patient. <laughs> stay, stay in your lane, man. This ain't it. All right? Yes. But we were intentional with our action. And if you can be intentional, that's going to be at your workplace. And you, you try to find the people that they don't look like you. Hang out with them, talk to them, ask them questions. By the way, there's a question that is being asked to me a lot about why black people are afraid of white people. That's not true. Black people are not afraid of white people. It's actually backward. White people are afraid of white black people, but black people don't trust white people. That's totally different. We talk about trust and the fear here. If I'm coming on, I'm working on the street and then a white person sees me, the first thing that he's gonna do is gonna cross the road. It's not, it's not, it's afraid of me. Afraid about my skin of my color and I, I, I'm, I'm kind of a danger for them. But what black people actually do, they, they don't trust white people. Even the problem that the cops they have with, uh, with, uh, with the black community, it's that. 
The, we know that they are cops. They pull us over. We can be pulled over. We can do things wrong, but we don't know how it's going to go. We never know how it's going to end up. That's why we don't trust them. That's why if I'm being pulled over now, the first thing that I'm going to do, I'm going to call Elodie, I'm going to call John, I'm going to call Taylor, and I call, I don't know how many people, ask them, can you guys stay online? Why? Because I don't know how it's going to end up. That if this is something that I would like you guys to know, that as a black man or African-American community, they are not afraid of you. They don't just trust you. But what we notice is that you are afraid of them or afraid of us as a people when we are not dangerous at all. We're just human beings, and we have also some standard or some culture that we would like to be accepted when oh, they, they, are, they are loud. Oh, that's true. Black people are loud. Actually, African people, we are extremely loud. Very loud. That means if you come to my house where I grew up, you have no idea. We are like in the stadium, but we are just three of us talking. <laughs> but that make me different or make me a bad person? No. I agree that you are quiet and I accept you the way you are. Can you just love me by being loud? Genesis 4.10. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. There's all kinds of things we could talk about. I could do all kinds of Bible stuff. I want you to have a chance to ask questions. So what do you got? And please, God, feel free. One of the gifts that I have, I'm from Africa. We don't have emotion. We don't have feelings. That means you can ask any question you want, and I'll give you the answer. Questions? What? Right here. Do we need a mic? Do you need to hear? If you want to have it on live stream, yes. Go ahead. Patient, you said that you and Elodie were intentional about coming to Flipside. What caused you to be intentional about coming to Flipside? First of all, there's, there's one thing that we're always blaming each other. The, the thing is, we, the people, the most segregated day of the week, it's on Sunday. On Sunday, you're going to see how United States is very divided. We have, uh, when you cross Hendon Avenue, you go this way until Clovis, all the churches are white people. Now, when you go to Southeast Fresno, you're going to see all the ecclesias, spiritus, that means all the Mexicans, they are there. Now, when we go to the West Side area, this is where you see all the first, second, third Baptists. And then they are there. That just just talking about Sunday to see how we are divided. Now we reach a level where somebody need to do the first step to go forward. Now the claim is you never invite me to your church. And then I say, I never invite you to my church. Black people wait for white people to invite them to their church. And the black people are expecting that. They're gonna receive that invitation too. And then we say, okay, fine. Because I don't just want to blame white people for what they did or how they look. Let me go live with them and then learn from them, learn who they are, and then what is going on. And then I came at Flipside for that reason. One of the reasons that we came, it was because you guys don't look like us at all. The second reason that we stay, it was because of the preaching. Because that too, I want to make that clear. If we went to a church, you can be the church that nobody look like us, but if they don't preach the gospel, we're not going to stay there. But we decided to stay and to be part of that journey. I, I, I don't know if I'm going to change anything by my presence here, but we say, let's go and be with them. And thank you, you guys being so nice to us. What he's talking about is the incarnational model of ministry. 
Jesus moved into a neighborhood that was not his own to people that were not like him. Do you understand what I'm saying? And it's very much what Patient and Elodie and Andrea did, moving into a neighborhood of people that was very much not like him. It's very biblical. Uh, and I'm so proud that you guys are here and you stayed. Thank you. Another question. I cannot believe you don't have any. Right back there. And it's Tom Hardy okay. And uh, and just before we watched your sermon, we we watched the march on Selma. And uh, I asked Marie the question. I says, "How you know over all the years that you know that there was from slavery to now, you know, uh, with us being you know at that time." Uh, a lot of people went to church. I mean, that was their, their mainstay. How can they justify how they treated different people and in the way they twisted the, the Bible? So, you know, that's what I was kind of wondering how, what the Bible says about that and how they would use the Bible by twisting it to segregate from other people. I don't know if it made any sense what I'm asking. Yeah, uh, I, I can give you an example, not even uh, in the United States, even in Africa where I came from. Because some people, they think that when they took the slave, they brought them, they brought them in the United States, in Africa we stay, we stay in peace. No, we, we didn't stay in peace at all. We have something that they call colonization. And in my country, being the second biggest country in Africa, we were not even colonized by the Belgian people. If you go read the story of Congo, you're gonna notice one thing. We were the property of one person. That means the whole Congo, which is twice the size of California, we were belonging to some person, in one person. That, that person went to the bank and they took a credit and they could not pay the credit back. This is how he took the whole Congo, he paid us as a debt to Belgium. It's okay fine, you know what? I cannot afford to pay your money, take my car. It was not that, that way. It was, I cannot pay your money, take Congo. And then with everything that is in Congo. But how that person was able to control Congo with the religions. He brought the Bible to us, but he explained us the Bible in his way. One of the verses that they used was, happy the poor so they can see the kingdom. They didn't use the poor in spirit. Now, all I can tell you for sure, the heart of a human being, white, black, yellow, blue, are evil in general. That means a human being can do whatever he wants to do to get to the what he wants to, even if it's to twist the word of God, even if to change the word of God. Because today the problem never been the word of God. The word of God is holy. But it's the interpretation that we give to the word of God that, that changes everything. That changes everything. The word of God is correct and holy. But us as a human being, we're bringing our own interpretation for our own good and our own benefit. And we give it any interpretation that we want to. Now, I can give you one. Black people are lower than men. They are not like a human being. And they this and this and this and this. And they find even the verses in the Bible that encourage black people to be slaves. And they show them, you see, even the Bible is talking about slavery. That you need to be my slave. They use the Bible. 
And I don't know if you know the part of the story. And when it was time to give the black people the Bible, they cut some passages. They took some verses in the Bible. They give them the part that they want to, them to have. And they took that literally off. And there's some verses in the Bible didn't exist in the black, black people Bible for a very, very long time. Why? Because they didn't want them to know the truth. They were going to church, yes. I'm going to judge their Christianity, I don't know. Another question. Right here. Go ahead. Just start talking. Uh, in our Bible study uh, after church a couple weeks ago, we were talking. After our Bible study, uh, we were talking about racism and some of the things that uh, you, Carl, had been uh, addressing. And it, we had some discussion about how it seems like all around the world the prejudice is towards different people. It's not just whites towards black, it's, you know, it's somebody against Italians or, you know, the English against the Irish. And it's just, you know, more the idea that people are different. And one of the things in our country, um, even though blacks were brought here as slaves, um, it seems like now that you know, there's, they've been emancipated, they're not slaves anymore, but that stigma kind of stuck with it. And there was one, somebody was talking about how um, it seems like some of the policies that were given blacks to make everything equal made it easier for whites to be prejudiced to blacks, not because they were black, but because of some of the things where they were then being able to take advantage of other people, you know, uh, in black neighborhoods, uh, you know, housing or um, uh, what do you call it? You know, when you're able to get into college when, you know, you're black or affirmative action, affirmative action, things like that, which makes it like, well, why are they different? You know, so people end up being prejudiced, not so much against the person because of their color, but because of some extra privileges they have as like um, reparations. Yeah. So you have a, do you have a question, Chuck? Well, yeah. It, what is it? It seems like, why is it that, I mean, maybe I wanted to see if that's, there's anything to that, because there's been slaves all around the world since the beginning of time. Why is it now, since there's no slavery, why would there still be the prejudice? Actually, there's more slavery in the world now than ever before in yeah, human history. right. So yeah. there is so a lot is there, of slavery right why now. Why is it prejudice whites against black or, or whites against non-whites or whatever? Uh, why I, do you think that's still? Because it's, I mean, basically we're the same people otherwise. I will try to answer that question in a very simple way. I don't know if it's gonna be simple. By being African now, not by being African from Africa, not by being African-American. I think when you talk with African-American, they are fighting for one more thing that they never been given to them. They want that their white community, which is represented by the government in the majority, to recognize that what they did for 300 years was wrong, and they to say sorry. I don't know if you follow the history of the country, the United States, the African-American are the only people in this country that the US government never apologized to. They apologize to the Chinese, and they're very surprising. If you've been, who been at Fresno State here? If you go to Fresno State, you're gonna notice one thing. There's a huge monument that was built 
in the United States for the crime that was committed in Turkey when they killed the, the genocide of uh, Armenian. Can you imagine that? We're talking about something that happened in Turkey. They killed 1.2 million Armenian, and we came at Fresno, California, and we built a huge terrorist to say we recognize this is as a crime. But there is no way at the Fresno State that you're gonna see a tree that they say we are sorry for what we did to black people. It doesn't even exist. But we have the audacity or the courage to recognize something that Turkey until today refused that they did. But the US government agree and they build it. When you go to Fresno State, you're gonna see there's one by African-American actually building. They build a status that they say sorry to American Indian, but they never have. That means the problems continue because until today, the US government never agree that what they did, it was wrong. And because of that, it's going generational. It's something that even when we say, oh, no, okay, before I fix something, I need to recognize that pastor preached that about last time too. When you, you say you are sorry, you are sorry of what? Okay, we say we want to repair. To repair what? That's a question. What? Oh, to repair what we did. It was wrong. No, we, we just want to give you the privilege to go to college. Well, why you want to give me that privilege? But you need to start to recognize first what I did to you I didn't treat you like a human being. You cannot use the same fountain of water than me. You cannot go to the same toilet with me. You cannot do this. It never, and I want you to know that the African-American community are the only community in the United States where the US government never took a time to apologize to what they did. And I think until that is gonna happen, this situation is gonna go just this way. And everything they're gonna try to do to fix the situation is like you're trying to paint the car that it doesn't have an engine. And you can paint it, you can go and change the color, make any color that you would, but that car will never start because the engine is not there. I think this is can be, maybe can be part of the problem. Now I'm talking like an African guy that tried to ask what is actually going on to African-American community. Thank you. Another question. One of the things that I think I'm gonna do, and then we try, my wife and I, we're trying to really to do, is not only to say, because sometimes you can say something, but that's gonna be just the word. But uh, we want to expose our daughter to some people that they don't look like her. That's why one of the reasons that we come to the church, that we're exposing Andrea to the people that they don't look like her, and that she, can, that she knows already. For now, I think Andrea knows, knows that I look different, but it's not a big deal because my parents, they are dead. My parents trust those people because you can talk to your kids, you to your children as much as you want to, but listen, the kids, they can see. They know they're different. They know that never hang out with a black person. He doesn't talk to them. He doesn't trust them. But my dad want me to respect those people. This is just a word because the action is completely different. The comp it's completely different. That's why I say we need to become intentional with our action. I, I don't say try to force yourself to make some black friend. No. 
I'm telling you, even myself, I, I, there's some people, no matter how what they are, I can never expose my kids to them. Never. That means I need to make sure that I know you. I need to make sure that I can trust you. And then now I'm going to expose my family to you. I'm going to say, oh, this is my wife. And I can invite you to my house. But until then, I, don't, I just live in Fresno. This is what you want to know. By where? I cannot invite you. But I want you to be, as a Christian, let's be intentional. Try to find some good Christian and try to expose our children to them. Let's teach them, educate them. Oh, yeah, because they know that way. Okay, we're going to the family that the people, they don't look like us, and we eat with them. My parents always talk to someone that is black. That means I can trust them. They are human beings. But when you just say it, oh, you need to respect everybody. You need to respect everybody. But you never ever in your life talk to those people. Trust them or make a friend with them. Even in the church, believe me, the kids, they know how to see the difference. And they will know that. My advice to you is going to be be intentional and expose them to that when they are little. Not when they grow up. And just another little story about that. Shell and I became foster parents of a young lady named Donna and her son, Joe. And Joe was two when he came to live with us. And Joe's last name was Barajas uh, because his father was from Mexico. And her whole family was, he's full 100% Mexican, like dark, deep Mexico, Mexican. Um, and so we uh, decided that we would become foster parents for this girl that my wife started to get to know through a group home. Um, she was 14. He was two. I mean, it was, or when he was born when she was, when he was born. So she was 16. He was two when they came to live with us. Um, and he's been living with us his whole life. Uh, and, and, and the interesting thing to me, two things, one, Joe would go visit his family in Fresno and come back to live with us. Um, and this whole, racism thing sometimes cuts both ways because he would come back as oftentimes a little boy, but just angry about us white people. Um, just angry about it. Um, and saying all kinds of things that wasn't his heart, but it was what he was around in his home. And it was very just brutal. Um, and it would have been very easy for me to get very offended of what his family was saying about us white folk, us rich white folks. Um, it was just terrible. But I knew that that wasn't his heart. I knew that's what he, what he was hearing. Patient said earlier, the kids aren't racist. They grow up hearing it, so they become, you know. But this, the, the thing that was just sweet to me is when we moved here, and uh, why it was just a little boy, and Joe, you know, he's old. How old? How is Joe? How much older Joe? Is he ten years older than Wyatt? And they're standing in the bathroom together, looking at a mirror. And Joe's like, in some Joe gets dark, dark, like, like he gets like Africa dark. I mean, he dark, dark. Um, and 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 Wyatt and Joe are standing next to each other, and Wyatt looked at Joe, and he looked at him. Daddy, how come I'm not dark like Joe? I mean, he just, he just didn't know. Joe was his brother. You understand what I'm saying? He, it just his brother. That's all it was. And until, until people that aren't like us become human like us, it's always going to be us and them. Um, 
And, and but I do want to I make this point too that noticing race isn't racism. We we've got to get that. Noticing race, I hate it when people say, "Well, we all just need to be colorblind." That's the stupidest thing, because God isn't colorblind, and He didn't make everybody like one tone and like He, he sees in technicolor. And to not notice that and to deny that demeans God's creation. I mean, when I first met patient, you know, one of the first things I noticed, other than that he was six feet tall. What, what, I, what did I, you tell me, what did I notice first about him? His, okay, this is what I'm saying. You're afraid. You're afraid even to say what it is you know. Because you feel like this is how this is how this is how subtle and pervasive. You feel like if you say what you notice first is that he was black, now that's racist and it's racism, and don't say it because maybe he doesn't know. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Like noticing races isn't racism. If you can celebrate it as the technicolor creation of God, it's like absolutely he's black. Beautifully made exactly, and actually I'm white. I'm Other than being bald, what's the first thing you notice about me? Probably I'm a white guy. I mean, how can you not? It's not racist. You understand what I'm saying? Yes, that's true because the diversity been part of a plan of God since the beginning of time. God was the God and God is the God of a diversity. Unless we think that God was wrong by making us look different. Because if I was God, because I'm not too smart to be God, but if I was God, I'll create everybody blue and a four feet tall. So we'll stop by there. So there are not going to be a differences. But God was so amazing, so God, that he decided to make us differently. But you need to understand, by doing it, God was portrayed the diversity, but he wants us to live together. And the beauty was there. The beauty is when we see uh, the different colors of people. I was even talking of, with Pastor Carl and other people yesterday. Even in Africa, we are not the same. We don't look the same at all. I don't know why everybody thinks that when we, you see someone from Africa, we look the same. No, we, we have a different race. The people from Morocco, Egypt, and the, the, the Alaskan, they are literally, they call them like a colored people. And the people like in the central of Africa are Bantus, are like me. And we have the Bushmen, the people in South Africa, they are very short, strong. And we have a Nilotic, we have, a, we have all those type of people. God, even when he decided to create us as a black, he didn't just make us the same. Even among us, even among the white people, there are some people that are extremely white. There are some people that are white. Some people, they, you know, there are differences between. And the God is the God of that. He creates us unique to live together. But us as a human being, I, I realized one thing about God also. God created everything good. But everything, it's not a sin. But everything can become a sin. Talk about the rest is not a sin, like a pastor is talking about. Yes, but it can become a sin. It's just like the same way with eating. Eating, it's not a sin, but eat too much becomes a sin. That means everything when you try to do that to the extent in a certain level can become a sin. When you see me here, you see my wife, you see my daughter, you can see that we're black. John is there. I don't know where he's his beautiful wife, but John is white, and his wife is black. 
And I, I, I talked with the brother the last time we spoke. I didn't even know that that beautiful woman next to, to him was his wife. But I know for sure that he's a Mexican and, and the wife is white. I can see that. I can see the difference. But talking about that, now we make it to become even a problem when we want to talk about the race. Because what? Because we recognize that in our heart, something is wrong. That's why we don't want to say it. That's why I don't want to say what. I, I, personally, I don't have a problem. I'll say it clear, nicely, and polite that you're white. And that's it. And I don't want you to change. And I don't want to, you to apologize for being white. You didn't do nothing wrong for being white. Pastor, I don't know if you can allow me to say this. You know, there's one thing that I love about the Apostle Paul. Uh, I was taking, talking with a younger, uh, not with the younger daughter, I think with the younger daughter and the high schoolers. I told them something. I said, if I, were, I go to heaven today, one of the first things that I'm going to ask God, can I see Abraham, Jacob, and uh, Isaac, the fathers? And as soon as I finish to see them, I'm going to ask a question, can I see Paul? But just imagine you go to heaven, Paul is not there. Look like something is wrong in heaven. Paul must be in heaven. That's, I don't know, but I'm for sure that Paul is there. But I love something about that guy. Paul was a Jew man, and Paul was from the tribe of Benjamin. But at the same time, Paul had a privilege that my daughter had. He was born in a Roman territory. And when you are born there, you have a citizenship of a Roman citizen. And everywhere Paul introduced himself in the Bible, he always introduced himself as a Jew and as a, from the tribe of Benjamin until when he was arrested. The day he was arrested, he played that card. He told them, I'm a Roman citizen and you have no right to arrest me. And he showed them that. They said, wait, you're serious? Yeah, I'm a Roman. You say, patient, why are you telling us this? Let me tell you why I say that. You didn't pray, I said that already, to be born white. But for some reason, because you were born right, you have certain privilege that you don't even use just for being white. My wife, this is going to be her last semester at Fresno State, and she's very smart. And I know that she doesn't like me to say about that. But she's going to be become a, a, a civil engineer, something that I don't even have a time to think about. But she knows the difference when she goes to school. Every time when she gets in the classroom, they see her differently because she's a female and she's black. What are you doing here? You don't belong here. But let me go back to what I was saying about you being born white. It's giving you some term privilege that I can call the cops today to complain about something. They're going to do just nothing. But if you call, and actually you call for the second time, that becomes very serious. And that you need to use it to promote the kingdom of plan of God by defending your brother and sister to say, this is wrong. Why? Because they can listen to you just for the fact that you are white. And I want that to make that clear. And Paul knew it. It's not a sin. But if you can take the advantage, not to, in a way of promoting yourself as a white person, but promoting the kingdom, say something, or no, no, no. What is happening here is injustice because this person is black. That's why you guys treating that way. If it start to come from our white and white brother and white sister, I can guarantee you the change is going to come in this country because I don't believe that this change is going to come from outside. The change is going to come from inside, from the church. But the church needs to know their value, to know who they are, and they use it as Paul used it for the glory of God. I'm telling you, if four of you white people stand up there and they defend my case, they will listen to me. I can go there and I'll talk as much as I want to. They will never going to listen to me. And you can do that? Yes, please do it. Please do it. 
There's something I want us to understand is that in the statistics in America, as far as population, this, we're about 13% African-American in this country, 13%. That's it. And so I, the reason I say that is to say this, those of us who are white need to understand that there is that segment of our population that lives under the umbrella of people who are not like them. You understand what I'm saying? Like they can't, the, the, the African-American culture cannot get out from under the white umbrella that covers them because there's only 13% of the population. So the very nature of being in America places them under the umbrella of every system and organization institution that has as its core whiteness. Do you, do you get that? Do you understand that? And so for us to say, no, it's all good. It's, I don't see what the problem is. Well, of course not. Now, if you could transport yourself into a culture where you are one of 13% and everything else is not, then you would start to understand how it feels as though, though this is my country, this is not, doesn't feel like my home all the time. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so then if you had some group in that majority group that would come alongside you and walk with you and befriend you, do you understand the safety that's there? And so it, it, it's, it's somewhat hard for us to say, no, I get it, because so we know, don't. You know, you know this story? Because me and Pastor Carl, we discuss a lot about that with Pastor Jeff too about all the rest things. I'm gonna give you an example of what I just said now. It happened actually in the church. Those one that knows me, uh, I work with the kids in the group homes. I've visited about 150 something kids. I love it. I love to go preach them the gospel. I go to the group homes and I talk with them. This is also one of the ways I knew the uh, flip side because I was going, I go to Valley Team Ranch here. But for now, I'm not going there. But before I was going there every Saturday and every Wednesday before I come to the Bible study. But at the end of the year, I love to raise the money for them. And the flip side actually helped me two years about it. Raise the money and buy a gift for them. Those kids, Christmas is just another language for them. They have no idea about what is a gift and all those kind of things because they don't even understand what love is. And then there was a church in Fresno that I tried to contact their church for a year. I say one year. I try every single thing to contact with the pastor. I send an email. They're going to call me back. Oh, we're going to let you know when it's going to happen. Wait. And it took me one year and nothing happened. But somebody that was in the staff at the youth for, for class who was white because she's not working there anymore. I called the girl. I said, okay, I want you to go with me to this church because I want us to meet with the pastor and ask her, ask him if he can support us to do what we are looking for. We were looking actually $2,000. And we went, I told you, it took me one year. We went one day, we met with uh, the pastor, he was leaving and we talked for a second and he said he's gonna call us back. And when we left, I told the girl, oh, he's always like this, he's never going to call us. But the same day, around 9 p.m., the girl texted me, say, are you available to talk now? I say, yes. And I pick up the call, and then she told me, the pastor texted me, he said, we can meet tomorrow at 7.30 in the morning. I say, wait, are you serious? He said, yeah. And I say, now you understand why I took you there? I'm telling you, it took me one year to meet with the pastor. But the next day, we met the pastor after one year, 
The pastor gives us an appointment the next day at 7.30 in the morning. I can tell you, if someone gives you an appointment at 7.30 in the morning, that means he moved mountains just to meet with you guys. And we met with the pastor, and the pastor told us, he said, the policy of the church requires that this type of demand, you need to take at least six months before we process that. But you know what? I'm going to think what I'm going to do. The next day, he wrote us a check of $2,000. I can guarantee you, I have nothing to do with it. It was because I took somebody that was also a Christian but looked like him. Talked to him, and the pastor was able to meet us, and they give us the check. Something that I did. And I can tell you those type of story, a lot of them. And it's happening in the church. And we want the solution to come from outside. It's not going to happen if we don't fix it in the church first. Any other questions? I can't believe nobody's asking about systemic racism or, you know, police brutality, none of that stuff. It's a bunch of scared white people to ask it in front of a black man. I don't know. No other questions. That's your chance. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Julie. No, I understand, and there are pockets where, you, where, where, where you might walk into and be the odd one out. I, I totally understand that, and 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 I'm glad that we have the opportunity to experience that because that's reality 24/7 for many people. It's not the reality 24/7 for us. So yeah, no, I'm I'm glad you had that experience. You should. That's yeah. Right, absolutely. Open your eyes a little bit. No other questions. Right back there. To the kid with great hair. Until when I was pulled over, yes. Before that, no. You know, we, we have a, I think the social media, to be honest, changed a lot of things about America. Because us growing up in Africa, my wife and I, even coming to Fraser was a shock. You know, we come in the United States. We thought that we're going somewhere. Because all they show us in the TV in Africa, it's Miami, San Francisco, LA, San Diego. We don't know Fresno. No, it doesn't exist in our TVs. We, and it was already a shock to come in Madeira, Fresno way. What is Fresno, by the way? And then when you come here, I continue to consider myself as an African, not as an African-American, but now I feel like I don't have a choice. 
than to choose. Because even if I don't want to find myself in that box, this is the box where they're going to put me. Unless when I fill the paper, I say I'm an adult, which is going to make no sense. But I just need to be that. Now, if you ask me today if racism exists in the United States, yes. And the racism is the same. And then my biggest concern and my, the way that I'm hurt, I'm not hurt for the racism that is out there. I'm expecting people out, not in the house, out to be racist. But it shocked me when the people in the house, when I'm talking about the house, I'm talking about the house of God, people to be racist. This is where I'm, I'm hurt. Because I think we will be transformed to the image of a son of God, and we're supposed to see the things differently. Yes, racism exists until the day the Lord is going to come. All the policy that they can pass in, uh, in Washington, D.C., it will change nothing from the racism. Because the racism is a sin, it's going to continue to be there. And uh, by the way, some people are going to go to hell because of racism. White, black, yellow, Chinese, they will go to hell for that. Yes. He asked if there was racism within the black community in Africa. You see it here, white and black. Is it in Africa, black and black? Except in South Africa, because South Africa is a very different dynamic. It's the only country where there's, uh, I think you guys heard the story of apartheid, and uh, with people like Mandela, they spent 28 years in prison, and then the apartheid ended up in 1994. I mean, it's still fresh in the mind of a lot of people in South Africa. When we're talking about the reality in South Africa, it was crazy. Crazy in a way that until 1991, 92, 93, black people in South Africa, who represent actually 70% of the population, need a visa to go to the mall. I don't know if you get it. That means someone wants to go to the mall, he need to go to the mayor office to get a permission and they're going to tell him that you're going to go to the mall for, to do what? To buy his shoes. We give you two hours. And if that person tries to do three hours, they're going to come in the mall with the dogs to look for him. And then they can arrest him, and he's going to be punished for something like you're not going to the mall for the next two years. Yes, this is what happened in South Africa. And the people like Mandela, they, they pay the price. He spent 28 years in prison just because he said that he was not right. That's why I said only the country like South Africa, but the rest of the country in Africa, no, because we, we all look the same. Now we got it. We got the question. It, quick answer. 
<laughs> no? Yeah, we, we have those type of conflict between some tribes, but it's not more about racism, it's more about power and all those kind of things, yes. It's because some tribe want to have more power than others, they want to be in the government. This type of conflict, yes, but it's not really based on the race. It's more based on the power that we want to have. Any other questions for patient? This is a very good question. I want you to understand first thing, that the follower identify themselves to their leaders. Okay, my ranchers is a little bit different just because the majority of the people that live in the ranchers, they are white. But if you go everywhere else where there's not just white, but there's a Mexican black people live together, you can note that the people identify themselves to their leaders. All the black people, they go to the church where the past is black. All the white people, they go to the church where the pastor is white. The Mexican, we, 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 in Fresno, we have a Chinese Baptist church, Japanese Baptist church, Korean Baptist church. I, I, I don't get it, but, but they put Korean there. They put Japanese there. It, it's a form of telling me you're not Japanese. Like, why are you coming here? I don't know if it's the right thing to do, but I feel like people identify themselves to that. that now, I want to make that clear. It's not a sin if a church is just a majority of one population. It's not, because people identify to their other people, to their leaders, they're coming there. But where the problem becomes is become when, as a church, we don't recognize that our sister church, they are struggling. Or our ch sister church, they are suffering just because of their color of skin. This is where the problem starts. This is where we can blame the church where the majority are white people. We don't say that by them being majority white people, it's a wrong. No, it's not. It's not. It's okay. Like I said, people identify themselves to their leaders. They have a right to go where they want to. Like us, we decided to come here. John decided to come here. His wife decided to come here. We decided to come here because we are free to go everywhere we want to worship. We can go worship with the Chinese where we want to. But the problem is going to become if we don't want to recognize that our brothers, which we call brother in Christ, they're struggling, they suffer for the fact that they, they are different. Oh, they don't have the same privilege that we have just because we are white. This is going to become a problem. But you worshiping with the people that they don't look, they just look like you, that's not a sin at all. I, I agree with that 100%. I don't think at all that the local church has to be multiracial. No. I think it has to reach out to every church of every race if they're in need. That's the difference. Um, it, you're, you're, you said it earlier, 10 o'clock on Sunday is the most divided time in the country. That's just a statement of fact. I don't think there's judgment that comes along with that. You attract who you are, not who you want. That's a leadership principle. Y'all need to understand. You attract who you are, not who you want. You can want to be multi multiracial, but if your community is not, you're not going to be there. Um, there are places in Fresno that should be multicultural because there's a bunch of culturals in a one block radius. Ranchos isn't that. And I don't have any, I don't make any apologies about that. We are, we are our community. But the moment we turn our back on another church that is in need, that we have the opportunity to meet that need regardless of culture and race, that's when we fall into sin. We, we have an example, Pastor preach about that guy. I'll, this is one of my favorite preachers in the world is Tony Heaven. He have a, he's an amazing preacher, but when you check the, check the church of Tony Heaven, 
majority are black people, but he's an amazing preacher, but he doesn't attract all the colors. I don't say that there's no white people in his church. Yeah, there are some, but they are minority. But the majority of the people that they go to the church of Tony Heavens, they look like Tony Heavens. But he will help any church that's struggling that has a need regardless of race or culture. He's been in Fresno a couple of times, and I think the last time he's supposed to come in Fresno, he was going to People Church, which is actually majority white. He was not going to Westside Fresno. They're white, white. (laughs) (laughs) Any other questions? I need a question. I need a question. Great question. First of all, what I think all of us as a church we're making as a mistake is we're reacting instead of acting. We're waiting. Like for now, I'm telling you, everything that is going on in three weeks is going to stop. All we're going to wait, we're going to wait for a next video that is going to come out before we start reacting again instead of acting. Now, what I'm trying to do is to say it's by now, because the problem is now, but when everything is going to come down, you to continue to act toward those people like you care. Not only when something happens, now you want to show them that you care. You need to show them that you get in the base every single day when you are with them. They can say, oh, wow. Now, what's going to happen? Even when something happens, they're going to put you and say, no, she's different. I can guarantee you that as a, white pe- as a black man, we know which white people that they are different. And we know which one they're waiting for something to happen so they can react. But they don't act in every single day. They're acting like, oh, hey, how are you? To check on me, to try to hang out with me. But... This is why they say that you don't understand because they think that you are not with them. You, you don't ask them about, hey, how do things work? What, what is your reality? What is what you guys facing? You're asking those questions to know about them, to know about their struggle because you knew already somewhere that there's a struggle among the white and the black. But if you just wait for something to happen and then to go ask questions, in that case, you're not acting, you're reacting to something. That's when they're going to tell you you're never going to get it, man, even if I explain that to you. Yes. Because you never care since the beginning. You just wait for something to happen. Now you're asking. And I think all of us, if we become intentional, before even any other videos to come out, I don't expect because I heard already 
something happened on Friday already. In, I think in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, there was another man, 27 Richard years Brooks. old, that was also killed. And then I don't know how it's going to go, but check what happened to that. The cops that killed, he was fired. But the police chief, he did something that I didn't like. He resigned. This is running away from responsibility. Just to say, I don't want to deal with this. Deal with it. I'm out. Instead of saying, I'm going to stay and I try to understand what is going on, what is wrong, and I'm going to try to fix it. No, he chose to resign. And that's a problem that the church is also doing today. We're reacting instead of acting by teaching all our kids. We don't want to for a video to come out, but to teach them, to expose them with a church from west side. Bring them here or take them there. They can also see the reality. They can talk with those kids and they know that, oh, wow, I didn't know that the things was different like this. When I was a youth pastor, yeah. Real quick there, if there are any high school students who have rides, you're free to get up and don't, don't keep your parents waiting. Just wanted to make that announcement. Keep them waiting. Okay, I'll wait for you. <laughs> Just kidding. Jeff's right. Thank you, Jeff. Um, when I was a youth pastor uh, in Tulare, all-white church, I took our kids down to First African Methodist Episcopal Church in deep Los Angeles. Uh, all-black church. When the Rodney King riots hit, that was the political fire uh, brand of, 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 the, of the black political movement during the Rodney King riots. Dr. Cecil Murray was the pastor there. And I took, I, I told our church I was going to take our youth group down um, to, to visit a couple of different churches. That was one of them. Uh, and we were going to go to the, a big dance party they had Friday night at their church and then serve the homeless and, and drive around with all of their people delivering meals all around the community on Saturday and spend two nights there and go to church on Sunday morning. And it was so interesting to me. As a white youth pastor taking white kids, the parents who chose to and chose not to let their kids go, the ones who ended up going with me were the one, parents who trusted me explicitly because they did not trust those people, especially right after Rodney King riots, uh, for their kids to go with me. Um, but those who went... Dr. Cecil Murray, now incredibly political. I mean, an incredible political man. Um, had a big mural of what Eden was and was convinced it was in Africa and they were all, Adam and Eve were black. I mean, it was this bit like, it was a hugely political church. But I'm telling you that going down there and ministering alongside them for two days and worshiping with them, they brought us from front of the, the, the whole church and gave us a right hand of fellowship and kissed us on our chest. I'm, I'm an official member of the First African Methodist Episcopal Church in Los Angeles. Um, and, and so, uh, but experiencing that for our kids um, was one of those moments where it was, huh, I guess we can have the same God. And... I guess there can be some commonality in us, but until it's very intentional and very much out of your comfort zone, it's not going to happen organically. It just won't. It just doesn't happen organically. Uh, and so the intentionality is huge. I was, I told, I was talking to Jeff and I told Jeff, I said, Jeff, it's going to be very interesting. I, I haven't told you this yet. I haven't told the church this yet, but this is, this is my this is my my heart, but also my angst. I told Jeff, I said, it's going to be very interesting 
what happens with our youth ministry when we get into the school year. Because right now, Jeff is a youth pastor, and you're the cool sidekick. Huh. Weird accent. He's black. Um, different. Interesting. When that wears off and you're the guy, it will be interesting to see if parents in our church or in this community have some type of angst. Wait, wait, wait. I'm leaving my junior high daughter at the church with the black guy? You understand what I'm saying? I hope I don't get wind of that. Because if I do get wind of that, I will recommend some other churches for them to be a part of post-haste. But that's my concern. It will be interesting to see how our youth, junior high and high school, respond to you uh, and accept you and love you. I know how they have with other youth pastors that have been part of this church. My expectation, my prayer is that it's just the same. Uh, but that's part of the angst. Like, like the line has been crossed by you coming here. Now the line has to be crossed again. Um, and I think this is part of the this is part of the this is part of our role now as a church. To one, be acknowledging of what the reality is for many people that is not our reality and not just saying, oh, that's just overblown. It's not. Parts of it might be, but the heart of it isn't. And then to be very intentional, not fake, but just intentional, especially starting within our family. And then every time you have the opportunity outside of these walls, to be one of those line crossers rather than a wall builder. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm saying? Now, please don't misunderstand inequity with inequality. This is something I think it's very, very important. There's a difference between inequity and inequality. You need to pay attention to what I'm saying right now. Inequality means there's a difference. It's not equal. Inequity means there is injustice. Inequality is not necessarily inequity. Inequality means that things aren't equal, and that's okay. That's what the free market's built on. Things don't have to be equal as long as they're not unjust. The problem that I see governmentally, we want to make all things equal. When they should, it, when, or, or the focus shouldn't be inequality. The focus should be on inequity. To fighting for and speaking out for justice, not so that all things are equal. The government has tried very hard to make all things equal, and it has made it less equal. Because you can't make things equal by taking away and adding to unmeritoriously. But you can fight for the eradication of inequity, injustice. Do you, you understand what I'm saying? Does it make sense? And so especially you young ones, don't get confused. Educate yourself a little bit on the difference of inequity and inequality. Things will always and forever, will always have inequality. 
Things will never be the same for everybody. They shouldn't be the same for everybody. They tried that in parts of the world. It's called communism. They're still trying in parts of the world. It's called socialism. It doesn't work. And so don't, don't be fooled in thinking that, that you know, we got to eradicate inequality. That's ridiculous. If we, if, if, I mean, think about it. If, we were, if, if patients and I were to eradicate inequality, he would be 5'9", and I would be 5'9". Inequality and bad, unless it's unjust. And when it becomes unjust, then it's inequity. And that's what we have to fight. And that's the role of the church. And, and by the, when, I, when we said we were going to do this, I kind of did a little bait and switch because we said we we're going to talk about race and the Bible. Do you notice we haven't talked about a lot of Bible verses? Here's why. Because if you came here expecting me and patient to give you Bible verses, why or why not, that stuff's not going to last. Because you know why? Because you've had the Bible with you your whole life. What I wanted you to do was come and experience someone who's living the Bible. Because that sticks. Do you understand what I'm saying? What do you want to say in closing? Uh, thank you for coming first, and thank you. I don't, I don't think this was just a lecture for you, because at the end of the day, we don't want you to pass any test. But we want you guys to go and uh, practice this. Make this to become part of your life. As I told you that, and I'm going to insist of that, please don't apologize for being white. But if the Lord, God, who's powerful, decided you to be white, he, gave you, he didn't give that to you, but the society, for some reason, give you a certain type of power, Use it for the glory of God. Just use it. And anytime you have the opportunity to use it, use it. Anytime you want to speak out, do it. As I say that, maybe I cannot. Maybe if I do it, nobody's going to hear me. And then, but if you can do it, do it. And then we, we're so glad to be here. I don't know for long how long we're going to be here, but we are here. This is our church. We are here. When maybe one day the Lord is going to call me and my wife to go back in Africa. We're going to remember this church. We're going to talk about the church. We said we were there. We were with the people that they don't look like us. They love us. They accept us. For all those parents that I'm going to have your kids with under me, I'm sorry. My mom gave me the perfect name, patience. That means try to be patient with me. <laughs> that's that, that's uh, something that I'm going to ask you. And uh, we, we love you. And then, like I said, pray for this situation. Live as a Christian and a big Christian. And uh, please. Start acting. Don't wait to react only when something is going to happen. I hate it. I heard that every time we are out, it's because of the video is going to come out. And I'm telling you, for now, we're waiting. We're fighting for this video time to finish. And in two months, another video time is going to come. And uh, you can come also to me, to LOD, ask oh, what we need to do. No, please, don't wait for us to die to ask us what you need to do. If you can do it, come now and ask questions. Expose our, your kids to us. We're going to expose ourselves to you, maybe to other people, but make sure that you trust them first. And they expose your kids, and you're going to see what the Lord is going to do. The Bible says, by this, they will know that you belong to me if you love each other. Not if white people love white people or when black people love black people. Pastor, you mentioned that, but this is something that I want also to emphasize. Racism is not just from white to black. 
As a black person, I can guarantee you we can be racist too. Very well. By the way, by telling you that you're never going to get it, it's already a form of racism. Because we don't want even to tell you our story. Because we don't want you to know our story. We don't want you to hear our stories. But if we can open ourselves to you guys, please listen to us. And ask questions. We don't just die. There is a reason why we do what we're doing. And like Pastor said, we didn't even talk about, we didn't even talk about that in the Bible. We didn't even touch the political part of this. Because if we start talking about the politics, I came in Fresno just for nine years. I can tell you terrible things that I learned in Fresno. Do you know that the west side of Fresno, where they live 90% of African American, they don't have even a store. There is no Walmart there. Can you imagine? There is nothing. There's only two stores there, actually. There's AutoZone because black people have car, and uh, there is a liquor store to every corner. And uh, there is no Walmart. There's no SaveMart. There's nothing. Now, think about this. Clovis is just under 20,000 people. They have more Walmart than all Fresno combined, which makes no sense. This is just the politics. Just to show you. Now, are we going there? No. As a church, can we speak out about this? Because nobody took a phone to call to say, wait, my brothers in Westside, they don't even have Walmart. Why you guys don't do this? But the people in Clovis, they call anytime. I cannot drive five miles to find a Walmart. They build one in the corner of this, uh, his house. You have one now. We were living in Clovis, Elodie and I. We were living in Clovis, I think, for six years. Just around our homes, we have four Walmarts. By the way, the biggest Walmart in the valley, it's in Clovis. Which make no sense. They didn't even build that in Wall in Fresno. They built it in Wall Clovis, Hendon, and the Clovis Avenue. Where are you gonna find the biggest Walmart in the valley? Wait, why are you doing that? This is what the men can be. But you guys are not just a normal man. You're a Christian. That the love of God lives in you. You are the image of the Son of God. Let's see the things differently. Patient, I love you. Thank you for dinner last night. Elodie is a fantastic <laughs> cook. I'm surprised you don't weigh 300 pounds. <laughs> no, I used to. Huh? Okay. <laughs> I used to. I was 249 pounds. <laughs> and then uh, I told my wife, I'm getting old. I need to control how much I'm eating now. <laughs> uh, I'm so thankful you're part of our church. You make us better. Uh, thank you for trusting us to come out here. Uh, thank you for staying. And I want you to know that patient is not our youth pastor because he's black. His blackness has nothing to do with him being on staff here. Please understand that. I hired him before this whole thing broke out anyway. Um, I hired him because he's good. He's quality. He's valuable. He knows his stuff. He loves the Lord. He knows scripture. He's a kingdom man. That's why he's on staff. Please understand that's who he is and see him through those lenses. Um, so thank you. I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm so happy to work alongside you. Um, and I would like you to pray for us. Let's pray. Yahweh, we, we bless you. We bless the God of diversity. We bless the God that created black people, Chinese, Korean, white, Congolese, uh, Nigerian, Yahweh, people from France, Italian, Yahweh, God, you were the God of diversity since the beginning of time. God, you didn't just make a lion. You make even when you create dogs. You create a lot of type of dogs, Yahweh. You were just amazing. God, I'm sorry, God, us as a human being, God, we took your blessing and we tried to change it in our ways because we thought that we're better than you, God. 
but we bless you because you saw it, you noticed it, and you knew how evil we were. God, you sent your son Jesus to come and to die for us. And I think you give your revelation to the Apostle Paul when he said, in Christ there's no Jew, there's no Roman, Roman, there's no gentle, there's not yellow, there's no blue, there's no black, there's no white, but there's, we are all one. Actually, we are all one, not with Christ, but we are all one in Christ because you are the reference, because you are our God. We bless you, God, for what you doing in our life. Yeah, well, today was just the word, but God, we believe that those words can become the life of the life of someone today. Yahweh, we believe that those words, Yahweh, can give a sense and orientation. Yahweh, show the way to someone today to know this is the way that I need to act from now on. Yahweh, God, thank you because we want to be a church that's acting, not reacting all the time. God, we want to be a church that can show the word that we love you. Because Yahweh, you said that when by this, everybody, they're going to know that we belong to you when we love each other, Yahweh. Yahweh, thank you, God. Yahweh, I bless you once again. I bless the rest of the week. Yahweh, God, give the peace to our country. God, continue to bless our government, Yahweh. Give them a wisdom to know how to handle this situation, Yahweh, where you guys are going to get glory, God. We bless you, God. We bless all other churches, Yahweh. God, allow us as flip side, as a local church, to know how we can be a blessing to our sister church, Yahweh. Yahweh, in the valley. We're not even talking because this is our Jerusalem, Yahweh. We're not even talking about the Samaria. We're not talking about the rest of the world. We're just talking about how in the valley, how we can be a blessing to others. Yahweh, thank you, Yahweh. Thank you for what you were able to do because you are the master of time. Yahweh, glorify your name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let me tell you this. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, you're more welcome to continue being part of this church. But do this for me real quick. Just tell, tell patient thank you for sharing the stories and stuff. Excellent job.